Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 285. 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 6. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Let's pray. Lord God, you are holy, you are great and mighty, and we, we worship you and we come to you in humility, and we ask that you speak to us through your word today. Lord, I ask that you use the words I say to bring glory to you and to speak your word not to speak my thoughts or my opinions, but to present what you have given us in your word for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Napoleon Bonaparte was a French general. He was a great leader of men. He rose to power in France and was crowned emperor in the year 1804. He led the French armies and nearly succeeded in conquering all of Europe before he was finally defeated and deposed in 1814. And then he was sent away exiled to the island of Elba off the coast of Italy and the Mediterranean Sea. King Louis XVIII was crowned king of France in his place and began to rule France. He wasn't very popular. The next year, Napoleon escaped from 
exile, and he came back to France and started marching toward Paris with just a handful of men. The French army was sent out to arrest him. And as they approached, Napoleon rode by himself ahead of his men out to meet the army. He gets off his horse and he says, here I am, kill your emperor if you wish. The army, instead of arresting him, they reply, long live the emperor. And they joined him, turned around and marched back to Paris to return him to power. Why, why did that happen? Why did they do that? It was because they loved Napoleon and they recognized his greatness, his leadership, and they saw him as the true leader of France, not King Louis. And I, I tell this story not because I want to glorify Napoleon or anything, but because it illustrates one of the important points of this passage is that King Saul is king of Israel, but the people love David, and they see in him the true leader of Israel. They see true leadership and honor. So my outline for today as we go through the passage is going to be like this. First, the unrighteous, which we'll see in the person of Saul particularly, the unrighteous fear and hate the Lord's anointed. Second, the anointed one succeeds because the Lord is with him. Third, the Lord's people love his anointed one. And finally, Christ is the true anointed one. Now, to really understand the passage, we need to have some idea of what's going on and how we got here. So Saul is the first king of Israel. He was chosen by God when the people asked for a king. He was anointed by the prophet Samuel. And he started off well, it seemed. He um, won a victory to rescue some of the people from the Ammonites and defeat them. And... It looked like he was starting well, but things started to go downhill. He started to disobey the Lord. He started to glorify himself and do things to please himself. And as a result, chapter 13, he's told by the prophet Samuel that rather than passing the kingdom on to his sons, like he would hope and expect as the king, that the Lord is going to raise up someone else to be the king of Israel. In chapter 15, he disobeys again, and Saul comes to him again, I mean Samuel comes to Saul again, and tells him that he has been rejected by the Lord from being king. And there's a long conversation, I'm just going to read verse 28 of chapter 15. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. So Saul has been rejected by the Lord from being king for his disobedience, and the kingdom is being taken away and given to somebody else. 
And Saul doesn't necessarily know who that somebody else is, but he's been told, you've been rejected, the Lord is bringing someone else. And then the next chapter, we the readers see that David is anointed king by Samuel. David, the son of Jesse. And then he bursts onto the scene, defeats Goliath to deliver the people with only his sling and his stone. So David becomes a national hero. He becomes one of the important military leaders. And together with Saul, he starts winning great victories over the Philistines. And that brings us up to where we are in our passage. So they've just been out, Saul and David, at war with the Philistines. They've won great victory. And now they're, they're coming home. They're returning through the cities of Israel. And I'm going to pick up in verse 6, chapter 18. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. To me, they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. So the unrighteous fear and hate the Lord's anointed. So Saul and David are coming back from battle. They're coming through the cities of Israel. And the women are coming out to meet them and celebrate the victory. It's like a, a victory parade of a sort, and they're singing and dancing, and it's a great celebration. You see, there, there's repetition here to emphasize that. They're singing and dancing, songs of joy, musical instruments. They sang to one another. And it's complete with a song of praise to the heroes of the day. Saul has struck down his thousands, David his ten thousands. And this is where the trouble begins. Now, this song is not meant to be an attack on Saul or a slight to Saul. It's meant to praise Saul and to praise David. All right? You can see in verse 6, it says, They came out to meet King Saul. They're coming to celebrate Saul and his victory and David along with him. And it might even be the case, it's probably the case, that the song isn't even meant to compare Saul on the one hand and David on the other hand and say, Saul did good, but David did even better, right? Hebrew poetry uses this type of parallel where you have a similar phrase and the number will increase. It's a common thing in Hebrew poetry, and it doesn't necessarily imply that the one is greater than the other. So just for an example, Psalm 91.7 says, A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. The point isn't to say that more are going to fall at your side than at your right hand, or I think I said that backwards. But the point isn't to compare the two numbers. The point is to say, lots of people may fall all around you, but the Lord is going to protect you and keep you safe. So it's possible, maybe even probable, that this song is not intending to say David is better than Saul, right? This is meant to be a celebration of the victory, a celebration of both David and Saul, to say, Saul and David have gone out and they've killed many of our enemies. But whatever the intent, it doesn't matter to Saul. He just hears, 
David's got 10,000, I've got 1,000. Something's not right here, right? He's, he's not content to just accept the praise and honor that's being given to him. He's jealous of the honor that's being given to David. He feels that he's being slighted. David has 10,000s, I only get thousands. Verse 8, he says, what more can he have but the kingdom? Right? Maybe in his heart, he knows that David actually has been more successful and greater than him. If you think back to the incident with Goliath, right? He comes out to challenge the people and Saul's afraid and stays in his tent. And David is the one who goes out and defeats him. So Saul may be recognizing that David is already surpassing him in his glory on the battlefield. But more importantly, I think the issue here is that Saul knows that God is going to take the kingdom away from him. And now he sees this young man who's being raised up and who's winning great victories for the people. He's saying, hmm, I wonder if this is the one who's going to become king instead of me. Right? So he doesn't know that David's been anointed, but he sees that this guy is doing well, right? This guy is achieving glory and honor. And so now he sees David's being praised as at least his equal here. And he's thinking, why does he get the 10,000s? Why do I only get thousands? You know, the people love him. Maybe this is the guy who's going to take my kingdom. And so he says, Saul eyed David from that day on. He's watching him, right? keeping an eye out for any evidence that David is going to threaten his kingdom. And he just can't stop thinking about it. And from this point forward, Saul never feels secure on the throne. He never feels secure in the kingdom. All right, reading on from verse 10, it says, The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, which is a, a stringed musical instrument, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice, and Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul's in his house thinking about his David problem, and a harmful spirit from God rushed upon him. So this isn't, this isn't the first incident with the harmful spirit. If you turn back just a couple pages to chapter 16, starting in verse 14, it says, Now the spirit of the Lord, this is after Saul's been rejected and David's been anointed, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Now, let our Lord now command his servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. And down to verse 23, And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand, so Saul was refreshed and was well, 
and the harmful spirit departed from him. So this has been something that's been going on. Saul has this spirit come upon him and he's unwell and David plays the instrument and Saul is soothed and relieved and feels better. But now here, and it seems that the harmful spirit is part of God's judgment on Saul in departing from him, taking the kingdom away from him. Right? Now we see in chapter 18 an escalation. Chapter 16, it says the spirit comes and torments him. Now it says the spirit rushed upon him. It seems to be a stronger coming upon him than before. In chapter 16, when David plays the lyre, Saul is soothed and feels better. Now, doesn't seem to help. Saul's rage and jealousy only increase. And when David plays the lyre, it doesn't help anything. You have David here who's patiently and humbly serving his king, and Saul is just increasing in anger and hatred. It said he raved, or another translation will have, he prophesied within the house. This is again showing the reversal of Saul's position before the Lord and his continuing slide down into wickedness. Back in chapter 10, when Saul gets anointed to be the king, when he's still on the the up, he's being honored by the Lord. Chapter 10, it says the spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied, right? And this was a sign of the Lord's favor on him that he was going to be the king. And now we get a sort of mockery of that, right? Now the harmful spirit rushes upon Saul and the prophecy which comes forth out of him is the hateful raving of an angry and jealous man. And he's worked himself into such a rage that he can no longer contain himself. He takes his spear, which a king would often be holding. It was sort of like having a scepter. You see in depictions of ancient kings, they're often sitting on their throne with a spear in their hand. That would be a normal thing. So Saul takes the spear and he hurls it at David with such force that he's trying to pin him to the wall with it. That's how angry he is. But David is able twice to escape. And here the author inserts the commentary, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So David has what Saul wants, right? He wants to be in the favor of the Lord. He wants the kingdom to be his. He wants the Lord to be looking on him as the rightful king. And so he sees, that, he sees that the favor of the Lord is on David, and he hates him for it because he knows that the Lord has departed from him. All right, instead of honoring David, instead of honoring what the Lord is doing in and through David, Saul schemes against David, against the Lord's anointed king. For the rest of his life, Saul makes it a goal to be rid of David one way or another. So point number two, the anointed one succeeds because the Lord is with him. All right, continuing in verse 13, we see Saul removed him from his presence, made him a commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. 
And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. So because of his fear and anger toward David, Saul decides to make him a commander of a thousand men. Wait, what? I hate you. I'm afraid you're going to take my kingdom. So go be a commander in my army. Why does Saul do this? Well, first of all, this is actually probably not a promotion for David, right? He's already been a leader, a commander over men in the army, if you look back at verse 5. And he's been serving the king in his presence, which would be a position of great honor, right? So now instead of serving in honor in the presence of the king, he's being sent out to what's still a position of um, respect and authority, but he's not anymore serving the king in his presence. So Saul's sending him away, right? Saul, he's just tired of looking at this guy. Get him out of here. I don't want to see him anymore, right? Get him out of here. Go, go be in the army. But even more devious than that is that Saul's thinking, if I put him in the army, he's going out to fight and maybe something else is going to happen to him, right? Here's a win-win. I don't have to look at him anymore and maybe he catches a stray arrow and he's dead and I don't have to think about him ever again, right? But Saul's missing one important thing from his calculations, right? The Lord was with David. The Lord was with David. David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. David is the Lord's anointed king. He's being raised up by the Lord. The Lord's favor is on him. The Saul can do whatever he wants. He can try to thwart the Lord's plan in a dozen different ways, and he will. Just read the rest of the book of 1 Samuel. You know, there's, even in this same chapter, he starts trying to kill him by the Philistines and goes on from there. But David... The Lord's plan in David cannot possibly be thwarted because the Lord is going to do what he's going to do. And Saul is no, no one to stand before him. So David has success. Some other translations have David acted wisely in all that he did. Right? The Lord is with him. He's empowering him to succeed. He's equipping him to lead to lead with wisdom. And so David is successful in all that he does. And Saul can only stand back in awe and, you know, what can I do here? I'm doing what I can, and this guy just succeeds in every area. And so he's, he's afraid. He knows that his kingdom is in danger. But fear is not the response of the people. Right, point number three, the Lord's people love his anointed one. Verse 16, but all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. The response of the people is love for David. They see him as their leader, and they're happy to follow him. Look at the last phrase there in verse 16. 
It says, he went out and came in before them. It said that previously in verse 13, right? Saul removed him, made him a commander of a thousand. He went out and came in before the people. And I, I passed over it without comment the first time, but this is actually a very significant phrase here, right? The one who goes out and comes in before the people is the one who is leading them, right? Look at Numbers chapter 27 with me. Numbers 27. This is near the end of Moses's ministry, right? He's led the people out of slavery in Egypt up to the very edge of the promised land. But God has told Moses that he is going to die before entering the land. And so Moses calls on the Lord to appoint an, another leader to take his place and lead the people. So Numbers 27, starting in verse 15, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people may obey. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. So Joshua is appointed as the new leader of Israel, who's going to go out and come in before the people. And it's not just leader as in the one who commands, who gives the orders and everyone obeys, but he's the one who shepherds the people, right? In verse 17 there, it says, he shall go out and in before them that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. We see the, the same phrase again when Solomon, David's son, becomes king, right? And there's that episode in the beginning of Solomon's reign where the Lord comes to him and says, ask, ask me whatever I can give you. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 5, sorry, no, that's not the right place. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, he prays, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And in the, the same place in 2 Chronicles, this is the same event, he, his prayer continues. He says, give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? All right, so Solomon says, I'm not wise to govern the people, to lead your people, Lord. I'm not, I don't know how to go out and come in before them. So give me wisdom so that I can do that. All right, so in our passage, David, right, it says David went out and came in before the people, not Saul the king. 
And it means that he, David, is acting as a true leader. He's acting like a shepherd for the people. He's being the leader that Saul should have been. And the people are seeing this and they love him for it. Right? When David eventually is crowned king, 2 Samuel chapter 5, this is what the people point back to. Right? 2 Samuel chapter 5 in verse 2. I'll start in verse 1. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. Right. Saul forsook the Lord, and as a result, he did not rule, rule over Israel well. He was not a good shepherd to the people. But David is anointed by the Lord. He's empowered by the Lord. The Lord is with him. And so he leads the people. He shepherds the people with wisdom. Even while Saul is king and the people respond in the only way that they can by loving him and honoring him and following him gladly. But if you know the life of David, you know that even David, the great king, did not always lead God's people well, right? He, he sinned and failed a number of times, and each time it brings more trouble to the nation, right? And each king that follows after David fails even more and more spectacularly, right? And that brings us to our final point. Christ is the true anointed one. Christ is the true king of God's people, right? David was the greatest king who sat on the throne of Israel, but he's serving in scripture as a picture of the one who's going to come after him, right? So throughout scripture, you're looking for the son of David who's going to come. You're looking for the true king, right? And that is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the true anointed king. Those titles, Christ and Messiah, both mean anointed one, right? The one anointed of the Lord. And Christ is the one who truly leads, truly shepherds, truly rules over God's people and rules well, All right? Let's take a, a few minutes. Let's go back over those first three points and let's see how Christ fulfills, each of those is fulfilled in Christ better than in David, right? So the unrighteous fear and hate the Lord's anointed. David, he's hated by Saul. Saul's jealous. He fears losing his throne, and he tries to kill him, right? Christ is also hated by the unrighteous, right? He's despised and rejected. The, the unrighteous leaders of Israel see him as a threat to their power and their influence, and so they succeed they succeed in killing him, and not just killing him, but doing it in the most brutal, humiliating way that was available to them. All right, he's tortured and crucified, and 
displayed for public scorn. Look, here's your king of the Jews. Right? And the unrighteous still fear and hate Christ. But it's easy for us to think of the unrighteous fear and hate Christ as something over there, right? We're, we're the unrighteous fear and hate him. But what about us, right? Let's look, look at our own hearts. All right, in our own natural state, every single one of us is just like Saul. Every one of us wants to be king and ruler of our own life, of our own heart. And we are jealous and angry and hateful of anyone who wants to challenge that, who wants to take away that self-autonomy over our own life, right? And Christ does threaten that autonomy, right? Christ is not content to sit back and watch us rule over our own lives. He is the king, and he requires allegiance. All right? So do we, do we fear his kingship? Do we resent the things that he calls us to sacrifice for his rule? Are we afraid that by following Christ, we're going to miss out on fun or on the freedom that we would have, that we would see ourselves as having? apart from him? Point number two. The anointed one succeeds because the Lord is with him. Right? David succeeded. He won victory over the Philistines. He delivered the people from their enemies. But Christ won the victory over Satan and over all the power of death and all the power of hell. Through his death and resurrection, through that very act of the unrighteous killing him, he defeated sin and the grave, right? And he won that victory for his people so that we can be delivered and reap the benefits. The same power, the same spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead lives in each one of us who belong to him. Just turn for a moment to Romans chapter 8 and verse 10. Romans chapter 8. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If we are in Christ, he is with us. He is for us. And he has won the victory on our behalf so that we will not be bound by sin, bound by death. We can be with him and enjoy his presence forever. Right? And if you're here today, if you're an unbeliever here today, this victory can be yours as well. Right? Give up the throne of your own life to Christ. Recognize his kingship. Turn 
to him in faith and love. Because his kingdom, his victory is better than anything that you can find yourself on your own. Look to him and see the good shepherd, a wise, faithful, loving king who delights to care for his people. If you want to know more about the king, come find me, find someone else in here, look around you. Anyone here would be happy to share with you the joy of Christ and his kingdom. Point number three, the Lord's people love his anointed one. God's people, Israel, they loved David. They followed him. He was their leader. Even more, God's people love Christ, love Jesus, the anointed king. They don't follow Christ begrudgingly. Don't follow him out of fear. Follow him joyfully, out of love for him, their great shepherd and king, because his rule is good. It's not harmful. It's not oppressive. It is beautiful and freeing, life-giving. Ask yourself this question. Do I love the Lord's anointed king? Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love his rule in your life? Or do you just like the benefits that you think you're getting from him? All right, let me ask it this way. If you had the opportunity to live your life any way you wanted, no consequences, all right, if you could do anything and everything you wanted, eat, drink, and be merry, if you could chase after money, chase after pleasure, chase after fame and fortune, with no risk of punishment, no risk of any kind of judgment from God, would you do it? Or would you still want to follow Jesus? Can you say, in the words of the old song, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. That is what it means to love and follow Christ. So as we go from here today, let Christ and his beauty be foremost in your mind. Be overwhelmed by his love for you in awe of his glory because he is the true king. He is the good shepherd 
And he has conquered the grave. He's worthy of all blessing and honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God. Your glory, your honor, your, your beauty are great beyond compare. Lord, and your king, your anointed one, is to be loved above all else. Lord, help us to see your beauty more clearly, to see your glory as more valuable, as greater than we did yesterday. Lord, give us an ever-increasing love for you. Because you are worthy to be praised and honored and worshipped and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.